0: If you would, please turn with me in your copies of God's Word to Acts chapter 15. We're going to finish this chapter today. And I want to begin by getting you thinking about what what ordinary, regular people are most likely to put on social media. Think about Facebook, Instagram. The like what do we normally post our best our best moments our best angles our best outfits the best parts of our lives that we want people to see and on top of that we even have filters that we can add to pictures to make them look even better very rarely uh, do people post uh, moments at their worst. It makes us uncomfortable to even be a bystander and see that. Uh, but people don't post their worst. Uh, they don't post pictures of themselves without makeup or on a bad hair day or a bedhead day. Uh, we never see pictures of the meal that turned out terribly. Or pictures of the house when it's an absolute wreck. We never see someone post a picture of a one-pound bass. We want everyone to see our best, and we don't want anyone to see us at our worst. We think about this with our employers as well. We may live a certain way and do certain things, and we don't want them to be on social media For the sake of our employment. So we put these filters up. You ever notice the Bible doesn't do that? The Bible does not put a filter on the text. The authors of Scripture don't highlight the best moments of the saints and overlook the disappointing, shameful, embarrassing ones. We are given the story straight, where men and women are described honestly, warts and all for all to see. Here's a challenge for you. Apart from the Lord Jesus, I'd like for you to try to think of someone in Scripture who didn't have a blem- or, or, who lived a blemish-free life. Uh, Think of someone in Scripture who never did anything embarrassing or shameful. I'll wait. You know, some of these Bible characters were members of our church. We'd have grounds to bring them under church discipline. And yet they are the heroes of the faith. Some of them are in uh, Hebrews 11, the hall of fame of faith. Isn't that refreshing, just the honesty in Scripture that we open our Bibles and we read of heroes and heroines of the faith and there's no attempt to cover up their failures and weaknesses and their sins. This is one of the arguments that defenders of the faith will point to, that if someone was going to just make the Bible up, why on earth would you include the stories the Bible in- includes? Well, like uh, sorry, Luke, uh, the human author of Acts, who is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he does not hide hard moments either. And we have one example of that in this text of the Christian life, unfiltered. One of the scholars I read this week pointed to this event as one of the great failures in the New Testament. Paul and Barnabas break up. And maybe you've had a band you really enjoyed, and they broke up. They're no longer touring together, no longer writing and making music together. Well, Paul and Barnabas, this incredible missionary duo, break up. They get mad at each other. And they bitterly go their separate ways. Barnabas gets on a boat and goes back to Cyprus. And Paul stays on land and heads north. And Luke gives it to us unfiltered. Luke doesn't say, well, you know, Paul and Barnabas just prayed about it. And it seemed good to them to just go in different directions. You know, they just made that choice so that they could accomplish twice as much as they could have before. No. Luke says they got mad. And they went separate ways. And that's what we're going to look at today. But before we do, let's ask the Lord's blessing on the preaching of his word. Let's pray. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, Shape and fashion us in your likeness. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. What we're beginning in this text is the account of Paul's second missionary journey. We've already seen his first journey, we saw it in Acts 13 and 14, and now begins the second of three journeys. And the plan is to retrace their steps. They're going to revisit the churches in Galatia and follow up with those believers. This following up will include correction of false doctrine or areas of confusion that have popped up. They're going to, invite, they're going to provide more instruction and clarity on who Jesus is and what he has done and what he is currently doing and how we are to live as his disciples. They'd also want to share the results of the Jerusalem Council that we just have seen earlier in the same chapter. And to go and tell these primarily Gentile churches, you don't have to become Jews in order to be Christians. You don't have to adhere to Jewish customs and traditions and be circumcised In order to be really saved, that's not going to be necessary for salvation. So they want to go and tell them this. And the plan first was to go back to these churches, and then from there to go onward to some new places. Some places that will sound familiar to those of you who have spent any time around the New Testament. Paul is going to go to places like Philippi, Thessalonica, Athens, Corinth, and Ephesus. That's where they're headed. But but this desire of Paul's to go back to these churches, I think it teaches us something. It teaches us something about a, a mistake that... I think we see pretty often today, especially in regards to evangelism. I mean, how often have you seen someone will go to an event, a revival, a worship service, they'll make a profession of faith. Maybe they come down front, they pray a prayer, they sign a card, maybe they even get baptized. And then there's no follow-up Uh, There's no commitment to the long work of discipleship. There's there's no follow-up making sure that this person is plugged into a local church and they're under the care of elders. Paul could have gone elsewhere, anywhere else in the known world. But he goes back to follow up with these churches in Galatia because he saw it as important. And again, we remember that God grows his people slowly over time. A newborn Christian may be just as saved as a believer who's been walking with the Lord for 50 years, but a newborn Christian isn't a mighty oak. They're a sprout from an acorn, and they need gentleness and care and nurture and admonition. And all of that happens or should happen In the local church. Showing up Lord's Day after Lord's Day. To gather with the saints. To be instructed. To sit under the word. To go to the Lord in prayer. To partake of the sacraments. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. We remember the Christian life is not one. To be lived in isolation. Where we go to an event and make a profession and get baptized and then never come back to the local church except on special occasions. We need uh, what we are doing right now. Um, In the same way that our bodies need healthy food and water and to be active and to get plenty of sleep, our souls need uh, the local church. And Paul is confirming that. But Paul's not going by himself. Barnabas is in on the planning as well. We remember the Holy Spirit has called both of them, Paul and Barnabas, to be missionaries. The Holy Spirit's called both of them to go from city to city and preach the gospel and plant churches and train leaders. And Paul and Barnabas had grown very close and in the same way that two soldiers who share a foxhole are bonded forever, Paul and Barnabas had endured long, difficult roads and near-death experiences, and there had to be this bond of strong, brotherly love between them. And we see that for both of them. The work wasn't done. You know, when <clears throat> uh, when I was a freshman at Mississippi State, I uh, uh, was a, accepted to be an orientation leader. Um, orientation leaders were students. There were 18 of us, and we were the uh, pretty much the ambassadors for the university for all the incoming freshmen and their families. And so over the summer, I think there were five or six sessions where all these incoming Uh, students would come in and we would give tours and answer questions and we had to memorize all these facts about the university and uh, we were kind of on the front lines welcoming these new students to school and the people i served with goodness gracious some of the most dedicated type a people you will meet like they didn't only have high gpas their resume had all these different clubs and officer positions and involvements and it's unreal and I remember just thinking like yeah yeah after I finish orientation I'm going to be a road runner and I'm going to work with uh, alumni delegates and I'm going to maybe be on student council and I'm going to do this you know what happened at the end of that summer I was burned out and I said I am done I have served my university no more That is not for me. I'm now going to just go out to pasture and enjoy uh, the rest of uh, my college. Not so with Paul and Barnabas. They didn't hang it up and go out to pasture after successfully completing their first missionary journey. Because the work wasn't complete. There was more to be done And so they begin the planning and preparation. And that's where this wonderful partnership derails. So let's look at it before I forget again to read the text. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him. And sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. So this disagreement is over John Mark. Barnabas wants him to join them. And if you remember back to Acts 13, John Mark is hes either Barnabas' cousin or nephew. We aren't entirely sure. They're related in some way. And Barnabas brings John Mark along on the journey. Uh, Paul and Barnabas had been called by the Spirit. They'd been commissioned by the church. John Mark hadn't. But he was allowed to go with them. He was invited to come with them. And so he did. And he was with them on Cyprus as they made their way across the island and ran into the, uh, the uh, magician and then spoke before the Roman proconsul. He was there. But when they got to Pamphylia, Asia Minor, Asia, Asia Minor modern-day Turkey, he deserts them Acts 13.13 13 says, And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. He goes home. And he leaves Paul and Barnabas in the field. We aren't told why. There's lots of speculation and lots of theories. Nothing certain. Um, Surely the realities of missionary life, uh, the discomforts and sickness and the constant conflict would have weighed him down. Maybe there was a disagreement with Paul's leadership because, remember, kind of up to that point, it had always been Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. And now, at this point, Luke starts to record them as Paul and Barnabas. Maybe he wasn't on board with that change of leadership. We aren't certain. But what we do know is that Paul and Barnabas react to this very differently. Paul is the uh, very focused type A personality. He's on a mission. He's got an agenda. He's got to successfully complete the job at hand. Whereas Barnabas is a more sympathetic personality. You remember his his very nickname, Barnabas, son of encouragement? Well, Paul was not happy. And he viewed John Mark as a deserter, one who quit on them, one who could not be trusted. And now Barnabas wants to give this young man a second chance. You can imagine their conversation. Paul, he's he's a young man. We know young men don't always use their head. That prefrontal cortex is still developing. They, they can make mistakes. It wasn't great what happened last time, but what if we show him some grace and give him another shot? And Paul's having none of it. He's a quitter. We can't trust him. We can't risk a team member we can't risk a, a team member leaving us in the field. Something like that could jeopardize our mission. So Paul gives a strong no. Well, what happened was a big fight. Two of the greatest humans in the New Testament uh, get angry at each other. We're told in verse 39, there arose a sharp, Disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Now, the word that is translated here as sharp, if we go back to the root, we'll see an English word we have, paroxysm, which is a violent explosion, an eruption of anger or Rage, I don't believe, is too strong of a word. I read someone say this was not a gentleman's agreement. There was strong anger with one another. Now, I don't believe they, they didn't physically attack one another, but they did disagree so violently that they split up. And Barnabas takes John Mark and gets on a boat and sails to his home island of Cyprus. We don't hear any more about their work. Luke is going to stay with Paul in his journeys. Tradition tells us that Barnabas dies on the island of Cyprus as an old man. And I have no doubt he continued to minister faithfully there uh, to the end of his days. Paul, on the other hand, takes Silas, who's another leader in the church in Antioch. He'll travel with Paul He will serve as a scribe. Paul will speak, and Silas will write down his words. Instead of getting on the boat and following Barnabas, they stay on land and go over land to Galatia. Now, there are lots of things we could talk about here. One of the most obvious being, if they had disagreements, so will we. We see the greatest apostle in the New Testament, Paul, and one of the noblest figures in the New Testament, Barnabas, have a massive argument and they go their separate ways. We remember that if it can happen to them, it can happen to us as well. We are not above this. We are not immune to this. Our Lord has promised us lots of things, But he has not promised us smooth sailing in this life. This side of heaven, he has not promised perfect harmony in the church. You can just look around our county at all the churches who are here. He never promised that believers would see eye to eye on every issue in the same way and agree on how to handle those issues. He did promise that he would never leave us nor forsake us, but he never promised that you and I might not leave or forsake one another. This happened to Paul and Barnabas. It can happen to us as well. So this is a bit of a reality check. But I I, want to focus on some positive outcomes as well. Again, I kind of jokingly said at the beginning, well, you've got now double the missionary effort. And you do. You've got Barnabas and John Mark going in one direction and Paul and Silas going in the other. You've got two groups covering more ground. And so we're reminded that our God can use complications and disappointments and even bitter arguments to accomplish his purposes. He can bring amazing fruitfulness out of hard situations. He does it every day. His plan is not going to be thwarted because two people in the church can't see eye to eye. If that was the case, the church would, be, would have been dead a long time ago. He says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Arguing Christians will not prevail against it. It will be built. We're about to sing, Whatever my God ordains is right. One of the verses states, Whatever my God ordains is right, though now this cup in drinking. May bitter seem to my faint heart. I take it all unshrinking. And this would have been a bitter departure for both Paul and Barnabas. And yet the Lord can use it. He can bring fruitfulness from this painful split. And don't we as a congregation know it? We we'll get personal I don't do this every Sunday. I don't want to be the church that has a chip on its shoulder or the pastor who has a chip on his shoulder. But especially those of you who have been a part of this congregation since 2006, you understand that going your separate ways can be a blessing. There's a wonderful history of our congregation written by Bill Davis. I usually give it out to new members if you would like to read it. Let me know and I'll get you a copy. But it tells of this parting. And when I was thinking about today's text, I thought about uh, the core group of this congregation. The pain and the bitterness and the uncertainty uh, that they felt in the severing of a relationship with a former uh, congregation. And yet the Lord has brought incredible fruitfulness. He has blessed us. He has been faithful to us. I'll I'll speak for my wife. Molly and I are so thankful to the Lord for you and for Trinity. We're thankful for your grace and your encouragement. And I don't imagine I would know any of you if that, tough separation hadn't happened. I'd know the Bealers. They lived down the road in my first Methodist days. But majority of you, I would not know if that separation hadn't happened. But God works all things for the good of those who love him. Another positive outcome is that John, Mark, and Paul are reconciled. You know, this is not the last we hear about John Mark. Uh, later, Paul is in prison, and he's going to write a letter to the Colossians. He's going to go through a list of names of those who have been with him, his companions in chains. And he says, they have been a great comfort to me. And John Mark was on that list. At the end of his life, Paul is in Rome and he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 and he says, get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me for ministry. Peter in 1 Peter 5 refers to Mark as my son. Tradition tells us that John Mark was Peter's interpreter in Rome. And you can't forget that John Mark will also go on to write the Gospel of Mark. Isn't knowing that a wonderful encouragement to, th- to those of us who have suffered failure? We'll make mistakes, we will fail, we will say unfortunate things, we will lose our cool and scream at someone. And you may come to me and say, Pastor, I failed. What I'm reading here is all too familiar. I've acted in a similar way. I'm ashamed of it. Do you know what I would say to you? Please take a number and get in line. You are not the only one. Scripture tells you you aren't the only one. This experience of failure is not unique to you. But just as there was grace and reconciliation and acceptance For John Mark, the same is true for you, dear saint. Remember that we are in union with the perfect one, Jesus Christ. Remember that his death was your death, his life, your life, his resurrection, your resurrection, his righteousness, your righteousness. Remember that he is building his church and that all of history is headed towards his great and final triumph. I heard a pastor recently, he reminded me on just some different views of history. Paganism views time and history as cyclical. You know, the whole Lion King circle of life. It just repeats over and over and over and over again. Atheism views time and history as chaos. We're all sitting in the backseat of a car flying down the interstate at 90 miles an hour and no one's driving and we aren't going anywhere. But Christianity views history as linear. A A line headed in one direction to one final end. That line began before the foundation of the world when God the Father and God the Son made an everlasting covenant that they would save a sinful people for their own glory. And we are called up in that great epic, the story of all history. And everything is headed towards that unavoidable, glorious consummation of a glorified creation and everlasting life with our Lord you and I aren't going to wreck the train because of our failure. And so look at the perfect one and then love one another. Look at the perfect one and forgive one another and pursue reconciliation and seek the good of the other and bear one another's burdens. These are some of the imperatives that Paul is going to write to these churches he is about to meet on this journey. And there are also imperatives that we pursue as we live and work alongside each other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would we be encouraged by the honesty of your word and the clarity that there is only one perfect one. And by faith, well, but by, by, uh, by your grace through faith, we are united to him. And our life is hidden with him. And we are caught up in this grand work that he is doing. A grand work that will end in his supreme glory and our supreme joy. Father, in seeing that, would we be faithful to him? prudent workers for you in the work and calling you have for us here and now. We ask this all in Jesus' name, amen.